compassion for us, his suffering on our behalf. And sometimes we get kind of lulled by this, you know, we know Jesus died for us. And we forget how outrageous that grace was. Here are some words that just don't make sense, humanly speaking. That if we applied them to ourselves and our friends, or a member of our family, we just we couldn't begin to kind of quite work it out. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Outrageous grace. God's riches given to us at Christ's expense for us. That's just to prepare you for our readings. Please sit down. We're going to be more on the same theme. Our first reading is on page 1204 of the Pew Bibles, or it will be displayed on the screen behind me. Uh, it's from Hebrews, the letter to Hebrews, beginning at chapter 5, verse 5. So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, You are my son, today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And our second reading, found on page 1080 of the Church Bibles beside you, or on the screen behind me, is taken from the Gospel of St. John, John chapter 12. John chapter 12, beginning at verse 20. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. And they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request, 
Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. And Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. And now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for the judgment on this world. Now the prince of the world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The request of some Greeks. Sir, we want to see Jesus. A phrase which has reverberated down the centuries for Christian preachers. Sir, we want to see Jesus. I'm told that there are a number of pulpits around the country that have those words inscribed um, in them so that the last thing the preacher sees before preaching are these words. Sir, we want to see Jesus. Not you, not your pyrotechnics. We want to see Jesus. I'm thinking of having it inlaid here. I think it would be great. Certainly cause a lot of heart searching for me. Sir, we want to see Jesus. I hope I'll be able to respond to that request for you in some way tonight. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we want to see Jesus. We want to meet your Son. We're intrigued by his words, impressed by his character, excited by his miracles, astonished by his choices. And we would like to come to know him better. We want to see Jesus. By your Holy Spirit, will you show him to us. Amen. So this passage comes after the uh, entry, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem when Jesus rides on a donkey into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. 
So it's kind of slightly out of order. Palm Sunday first and then this passage. So uh, as we'll be finding out next week on Palm Sunday, Jesus comes on a donkey, so he's not coming on a war horse like a general, in a, you know, conquering general in a tank coming into the city that he's conquered, but more like an international leader coming in peace, like in a Pope-mobile, okay? He's coming in peace and grace. He's caused quite a stir. His enemies are even crosser with him because he's, you know, they're expecting the cr- even more crowds to be following after him on this great feast day when Jerusalem is packed with visitors and it's all really volatile. They're very cross. They want to arrest him as soon as they can find him. And here, sure enough, is a party of Greek tourists who've turned up in Jerusalem for the feast to come and worship. They've heard about Jesus. They've decided they want to get a selfie with him. Jesus, Jesus. They want to know what it's all about. So the disciples bring this request to Jesus and we're expecting Jesus to say, great, that's fantastic, bring them along. You know, we'll talk with them. We'll, you know, we'll explain the kingdom of God to them. Or alternatively, guys, I'm a bit preoccupied this week. You know, perhaps we could just, uh, you know, another time in another life. What Jesus in fact does is share this strange soliloquy. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. What's this got to do with the Greeks? I tell you the truth, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Throughout John's Gospel, we have been hearing this phrase repeated, um, the hour has not yet come. Right at the beginning, uh, chapter 2, Uh, Jesus goes to a wedding in Cana, you remember, and his mother um, drags him rather unwittingly into the kind of, you know, the the difficulty that the bride and groom have. They've run out of booze, and uh, and Jesus' mother says, you know, you could help. And Jesus says, woman, what's that to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And then later on in chapter 7, he's, uh, he's been preaching to the crowds and saying some difficult things and, and the crowds start to pick up stones to throw at him. And he says, to, well John says, his hour had not yet come and so he walks through the crowd. But something about this moment on this great feast day with these Greeks bringing this request, signifies to Jesus that the time has come at last. The time is here. The time of Jesus' glory has come. But if it's the hour of his glory, why this talk of seeds dying? Every day when I walk to church, I walk past a big horse chestnut tree at the end of the Fry's garden. And come autumn, 
the, uh, the, the horse chestnuts um, uh, ripen in the tree and they start to fall to the ground on the road and on the pavement as I walk by. And the green spiky shells start to peel back and inside you can find the little kernel, the, the chestnut, the conker, which is a work of art. Every time I get one, I look at it and I think it's astonishing. It's this rich mahogany um, with a wood grain that's so polished, it's like it's been carved out of mahogany and, and varnished. It's like, it's just a, a, a work of art. It's extraordinary. But the thing is, however glorious it may look, every schoolboy of my generation knows that that is not the point of a conquer. The point of a conquer is to drill a hole in it and to thread a string through it and to fight with it. So first of all, you hold your conquer up so that somebody else can take a whack at it with theirs. And then if they miss, then you get your conquer and you take a whack at theirs. And so it goes on. And if you knock their conquer to smithereens first, you win. So there's no kind of, there's no, uh, there's no subtle scoring system here. It's just all or nothing. It's death or glory. And if you win, you're a one. And then if you win again, you're a two. So see, it's really, we were, we were high-powered in, uh, in our game scoring scenarios when I was eight. And if you beat somebody else's two, then you're a four. And if you beat their 17, then you're a 21. And that's really cool. But then comes the really difficult decision. Okay, and the decision is, at what point do you retire your conquer so that you can bask in its glory and in that high score that it has achieved, that, the glory of, of triumph, of victory? Because one fight too many and it is dead. It is in pieces on the floor and all of those, all that high score has gone to somebody else's conquer that was probably only a one itself. The glory of the conquer. But say one day you did a very strange thing. You went into your garden and you dug a hole. And you put your conquer into that hole and you filled it with peat and you watered it. What a tragic waste of a good conquer. If you were to wait two weeks and dig it up again and pull it out, it'd be ruined. It'd be absolutely wrecked. It would be useless. It might be a 37, but it couldn't fight to save its life because because it had got soggy, because its structure had started to break down, because something was happening inside it that had, was changing it. It was no longer a fighting machine. Something else is going on. If you were to plant it again and water it and leave it and come back in a two or three or four months, you might just find a little shoot coming out of the ground. And if you left it for another year, there might be a little seedling 
another year and there would be a sapling starting to be firm in the ground. Leave it 20 or 30 years if your neighbours haven't complained and called the council and you might have a huge conquer tree of your own in your garden producing hundreds of conkers every year for your children and grandchildren to fight the wars of the playground for themselves. Because that is the true glory of a conquer. To grow a tree which can bear more fruit, more conquers in its turn. So if Jesus' life is like a conquer, is like the seed, what are the, new, what are the seeds that come from that? Well, of course, they're the disciples to whom he gave his life. The disciples who received from him the life eternal, the risen life, as they met with him in the upper room and on the road to Emmaus after Easter. And that means that because those disciples handed on their life to the next generation and the next generation and each generation passed it on to the next down through the centuries until our generation and we received this life. We too are in effect those seeds, those conquers, that fruit that has come from the original seed that was planted in the ground, that fell to the ground and died and grew. Jesus said, the one who clings on to life will lose it. But the one who lets go of life in this world will keep it for eternity. And as one conquer receives its DNA from the one before, the one that gave it, li it life, so we have received our Christian discipleship DNA from that original seed that was planted, which means that our lives need to reflect, need to be like Jesus himself. Jesus said, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. And my father will honor the one who serves me. So where is Christ leading us? What's the planting which allows the life of the seed to germinate and to reproduce? What's the sign that Christ's hour has come? All of these all of these questions that are, are, are raised in this passage that we listen to, they all weave together in the final declaration that Jesus makes at the end of the passage. But I, says Jesus, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw everyone to myself. In order for others to benefit fully from Christ, to receive the seed of his new life, what he needs to do is not, in fact, to meet and greet, to uh, sign autographs, to raise his profile. What he needs to do is to do the work that the Father has given him. This strange vocation to die as a seed, to be raised on a cross, and to enable everyone, 
Jews and Greeks, to have complete access to him. They wouldn't just see him, they would come to him, drawn by God's powerful love into Christ's fellowship and life. Which brings us full circle to the request of the Greeks. Sir, we would like to see Jesus. It's like Jesus is saying, if you really want to see me, if you really want to understand my significance, you need to wait a little until you can see me raised up on the cross. And then you will understand and be drawn to me. You and all peoples, those whom you represent here now. And you will receive the full benefit of what I am doing as I die as a seed in order to give new life. And you Greeks asking this question at this very moment, you are providing to me the sign that the hour has come for me. That what I am doing for you, I'm not doing for myself, I'm not even doing for the Jewish people, God's, the people of God. I'm doing it for you and for everyone for the whole world. My hour has come. This image of the conquer or the seed sets up for us some big paradoxes. A beautiful life is destroyed and hidden. Seems like a tragedy, but in fact it turns out to be a triumph a triumph of God's self-giving love voluntarily meeting death face to face and destroying and defeating it. So death is swallowed up in victory. Death is swallowed up in victory. Here are some other ones that appear in the passage. Some paradoxes. Christ's humiliation on the cross will become his glory. He won't be glorified afterwards. This humiliation is the glory. This death is the germination and new life. He who is judged by the people of Israel and sentenced will become the judge and this is the time of judgment of the earth. His being judged is the judgment of the world. He who alienates everybody will draw all to himself. He who is cursed on the tree becomes a blessing to all people. And in the other passage, more dilemmas, um, more paradoxes, the writer to Hebrews describes Jesus as a high priest like Melchizedek. The high priest receives the gift of being a high priest, but at the same time he is giving to the world relationship with God. He is being honored as high priest, and yet he is suffering for being high priest. He is obeying as high priest and coming to the fullness of what it means to be the Son of God. 
and is therefore able to bless those who obey him. He is being perfected, completed in his sonship and becomes a source of salvation and therefore of sonship and daughtership to all the world, to us. Lots of paradoxes there. The death mirrored by life or becoming or being life. Just take a moment to turn to the person next to you and share together what is, which of all of these paradoxes most strike you. Is it death becoming life? Is it humiliation becoming glory? Is it judgment being judged becoming judgment? Alienation becoming attraction or, or um, reconciliation? Is it honor, pain? What is, what is it that strikes you when you think about the cross? Just turn to one another and share that. Of course, says Jesus, if you really want to see me, if you really want to understand me, if you really want to be like me, then you will have to be ready also to become like the conquer planted in the ground. If, like the Greeks, we want to see Jesus properly, it's not just a question over this next two weeks of, of watching, you know, watching the spectacles happening, watching Jesus' dramatic, um, symbolic actions of listening to his teaching, of, 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 um, of witnessing his prayer like the disciples. It's not even a question of just looking at him on the cross and seeing him risen from the dead. It's a matter of remembering that we too are called to be conquerors, called to be seeds, ready to be planted in our turn, allowing our precious, rich, and fertile life to be buried so that it too can be raised up in eternal life and passed on to others in newness of life in its turn. So what does that mean for us? I think it mean, can mean a bunch of different things at different times. I think it does mean being ready to work through the struggles of each day at work and at home in being like Jesus, even when people treat us in the kind of way that they treated Jesus. Being ready to be like Jesus under pressure. I think to it, it means something about sacrifice. That might be financially investing in Christ's ministry here or across the world. It might be in terms of investing our time and energy into his ministry, not just you know, our own pastimes and, and pleasures. 
It might be being willing or coping with the pain and suffering that we sometimes find ourselves in. I think too it can be meaning something about letting go. Are we at some stage in life where we have to let go of something or someone? Just thinking of um, Matthew Holland who's in his last month as vicar of St. Simon's. And I was talking to someone this morning who was saying, whenever she asks him how he, or no, his wife, how she's doing, it's just like, don't ask me that question. It's too big a question. I can't handle it. Letting go of everything that you've built up, of your baby, as it were, of all that you've grown, and trusting it to those that you leave behind. And knowing that you cannot do anything about it in the future. That's a really tough thing to do. It's like burying yourself, being buried in the ground so that the seed that you have sown can bear fruit in other people. Some people I know um, have faced and are facing letting go of physical capacities that they've had. I remember going to Indonesia and the frustration of not being able to talk, not being able to speak a language that the person I was speaking to would understand, of having so much to say, so much to share, and not being able to do it. That frustration. And hearing someone from this country, a mentor of mine, a spiritual director who was a missionary, saying to me, Michael, ironically, it may be that your most powerful witness as a missionary comes in this first few months when you can't say anything you can't tell them anything all you can do is offer the silent witness that you have come and that you're willing to be dumb unable to communicate for their sake and I think of people who have come to the point of letting go of their ministry at St. Jude's And that's a really, really tough place to get to. And yet, it releases power amongst God's people. And then, of course, there's the final letting go, isn't there? Some of us are in a place where we have had to let go of those we love, our parents, other people, friends, Some of us are at a point where people we know are going through that process now. All of us one day will come to the point where we too have to let go of the life that we have lived here, of all the joy and all the glory that it's been. But by letting go, by being planted and buried, we walk through the doorway into the glory of Christ's kingdom. And he can use us to grow the tree of faith that bears fruit in the life of others. I wonder which seed sowing you have experienced. 
which you have found easy or difficult, which you sense you may be facing in the future. Let's just take a little moment and ask yourself that question. What seed sowing have I done? Where have I been buried in the ground? And can I trust the Lord Jesus to use that burial, to use that planting to bring glory in this world and the next? The writer of Hebrews is saying the same thing. Just as Jesus learnt to be a son in the fullest sense of the word, the truest sense of the world, through his obedience, through his suffering, through his dying, so we too need to follow him. Through obedience, through suffering, through letting go, through the struggle of living like him, through facing up to death, we too can become true sons and daughters of the living God, become channels of his grace into the life of others. For all those who learn to obey the one who on the cross has become the source of salvation for us. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, Give us the courage not only to watch you on the cross, but to pick up our own cross and follow you. We thank you for the blessing of the seed of faith planted in us by your faithful disciples in the generation before us who are following you in your seed-planting discipleship in your obedience to your Father. May we too have the courage to let go of those things that you call us to let go of, including, finally, our own lives. that we may, like you, through our obedience, through our suffering and our dying, may bring glory to your Father, may raise the tree of faith that bears fruit in the life of others.
and my step through into your eternal and glorious new life. Amen.